This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We do welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk computing, technology, the internet, uh, all of the good stuff that uh, makes our lives so much better and easier. Tonight on the show, it's Joe Eaton. Joe, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, Warren? I'm pretty good as well. Uh, I feel like uh, the Jasmine's coming out. I can smell things again, which is a good sign that spring and summer are not too far away. So I'm feeling better about the weather, which always helps. Um, have you had a good week in technology or middling? How's it been for you? I had, I fell into a, a very deep KLF hole over the weekend. Uh, tell us about that. So uh, for those of you who were around for electronic music in the 90s, you um, may remember the KLF. The White uh, Room, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, mm. the the justified and ancient of Moo Moo. Mm. So um, they... They burnt a million pounds uh, in 1994. Literally. Literally burnt a million pounds, Mm. not just burnt through a million pounds. Mm. And um, they placed a 23-year moratorium on talking about it. And and that moratorium ended on the 23rd of August. And they did something about it? They threw a a three-day event in Liverpool um, and... um, I'm going to relate this to technology because the people who are into it tend to be fairly tech head kind mm. of people. Yeah. Um, day one was a book launch. Day two was the day of the book where they ripped up the book, handed the people who attended the event a page of the book and commanded them to create a piece of art around mm. their page that they'd been given. Mm-hmm. Um, day three was the rites of mummification where they announced that they've entered the funeral business. They have. They're doing pyramid selling apparently. They are selling bricks. Um, you can once you're once you have died, yeah. and you're cremated, you can have twenty three grams of your ashes placed into a brick, and they will build a pyramid on one day each year, the twenty third of November every year, which will be henceforth be known as the Toxteth Day of the Dead, and um, your pyramid will get added at the year that you die. Interesting. That is that is one way to to burn through a lot of money. Um, yeah. Another way to burn through a lot of money is to try and transfer it around. Um, if you have um, recently moved money across borders or, um, uh, I don't know, tried to um, take money back, um, you know how much you can get stung by fees and the exchange uh, in general. So it can actually be a frustrating process given how easy it is um, within a given country. The team at TransferWise have uh, taken on this problem, uh, trying to make it a bit easier for everybody. And we'll be joined by the local money swami, uh, Nicholas Lembo, um, uh, in just a few moments to talk about that. And also later in the show, if you do like to break or hack stuff and you like cra- crazy jumpers, um, Joe, I think we both agree we like crazy jumpers. Is that fair? Love a good jumper. Uh, there's heaps of fun ways that people are messing with technology and fashion right now. And we're going to take a look at um, what's become known as glitch fashion uh, in a bit, which uh, should be a lot of fun too. But there is a heap of news out there uh, before we get to that point that we wanted to mention uh, slightly concerning, uh, or very concerning indeed. Um, uh, there's a lot going on in this part of the world, but China has just banned anonymity uh, in another demonstration of the Communist Party's uh, grip, uh, lingering grip on society. Um, it's just announced new rules uh, regulating participation on the internet uh, from the 1st of October. 
So effectively, uh, online anonymity will be completely banned. Um, providers of any type of service are actually um, under the onus of having to um, police this and making sure that um, people's um, real identity um, is connected to their activity at all times. So no more online handles for people in China? Pretty much. Um, leading sites uh, like Weibo and WeChat um, already have a government-mandated uh, real name policy, um, and the same applies to um, if you want to get a cell phone number. Um, uh, Tiba, the uh, Beidou-owned forum that um, started some detergent uh, nationalist movements was also forced to comply as well. So it's been a kind of platform-by-platform platform approach to, to doing something about this. Um, so uh, in addition to the ban on the use of VPNs, um, all access providers and application stores must remove and prevent the use of all tools that provide anonymity. So basically just dismantling that. Um, I kind of feel like... Um, <coughs> We do hear about a lot of platforms talk about the advantage to having the real you in there, the authentic you, and it's kind of, it is good in that it builds a lot of trust for things like commerce and um, exchanges and, you know, sharing stuff and what have you, but um, not having the ability to, to, to sort of um, present um, commentary or um, thoughts um, without, especially the repercussions that, that have happened in China um, over um, the last century or so. Or the ability to play with your identity under mm. a pseudonym without the pressure of the history of who you are or any of that kind of thing. That's such a part of growing up as a, um, a teenager in, on the internet now. Mm. Some of the, uh, specifically, the um, behaviours that the Cyberspace Administration of China, or CAC, which is an appropriate acronym, um, <laughs> have uh, decided to um, um, outlaw, uh, including um, opposing the principles of the Constitution of China, uh, damage, damaging national honour and interests, um, some of these are quite vague, spreading rumours or disrupting social order, uh, spreading obscenity, pornography, video, uh, or violence or terror, or abetting a crime, um, yeah, violating any other laws or regulations. So I kind of feel like it's the sort of thing that regular laws would um, that would apply to you know in any civil society should be able to police. Um, yeah, interesting, um, very alarming, and uh, we'll see how that develops. Um, something that's developing in a much more interesting uh, way is the uh, Hyperloop, um, which was flagged by um, Elon Musk, I think back in 2012 as a concept. Um, he's just released a video, um, the Hyperloop team, I should say, of the um, device or one of the pods um, hitting 321 kilometres an hour in a, a concrete uh, tunnel. Um, if you jump onto um, at Elon Musk on Twitter um, from, I think, yesterday, there's a, a video. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty insane watching this thing speed up and it's intense and then break as well. Um, so I think the they've described it as kind of a train meets air hockey meets something else. Um, a railgun. A, a railgun. Yeah, and and railgun is sort of that kind of frictionless kind of um, way of sort of firing projectiles without um, explosives. Um, so magnets, I think they use to to kind of do that. But um, yeah. Apparently, it's going to mean uh, Melbourne to Sydney in 53 minutes, which is, um, I don't know, not really long enough to watch an episode of Game of Thrones, maybe. I think that Twin Peaks is the the better show this the, this week. The better show to watch. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye on uh, Hyperloop. Um, one other form of transport that is uh, making news at the moment, uh, Uber um, have uh, made some good measures um, to backtrack on some of their um, uh, terrible policies from recent times. Um, they're actually reversing a controversial decision to collect users' location information uh, after their trip ends. It kind of, it 
came up and then kind of died down pretty quickly last year when they introduced this. What I was think. their justification behind keeping this data? Uh, to provide better services. So effectively, they wanted to say they wanted to know where you went after the trip, um, so they could better position cars to you know next time that you called or something like that. So there is there is some commercial sense to that, but the for users the the benefits are, are well and truly overshadowed by the the negatives of of having your um, position tracked. Um, so they did actually have. It used to be that you could um, have a selection only while using the app would it track your data and then with the update in November of last year they changed it to always or never and what that meant for people who selected never was you had to manually enter your address details which is a bit of a pain in the butt. It's uh, not really a good user experience. No, no and we're all just far too lazy for, for that these days. So they're backtracking on that um, and yeah I, I think that's a, um, a better approach. They have had a, um, a big day, actually. Um, they have just announced uh, they have a new CEO, um, which is great. Um, if you've been following the story, uh, their um, executive has been kind of uh, decimated um, over the past few months and there has been a, a long and expensive um, search for a replacement. Uh, it's actually um, an Iranian-American, uh, the former CEO of Expedia, um, who uh, I think has been in the States for about 10 years or so, and he grew Expedia into a, a pretty good kind of um, operation. Uh, and I don't know, he's kind of got the, the Putins about him. He looks quite serious and kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, They didn't appoint a woman. They did not. They did not appoint a woman. Um, so I don't know, on, on the surface of it, um, the person does seem like um, they're very well qualified to do it. But yeah, it'd be interesting to know what their um, recruitment process was and whether there were um, women candidates or um, um, candidates with more diverse backgrounds who, who could have met the same criteria as, uh, I think it's a Dara? Dara. Dara Kurashawi. Oh, no, I'm not going to get that name right. Sorry, Dara. Um, interesting. Um Something that's probably uh, a little bit more useful than a um, convenient car service is a new app that's um, been developed to help diagnose pancreatic cancer. Um, pancreatic cancer has actually got a fairly poor um, diagnosis, a five-year diagnosis, I think, of about 9, 9% um, survival rate. And one of the problems that they do actually have is that it's very hard to diagnose and to run a test, and doctors are very reluctant to run tests um, without a, a good justification for this. So some clever scientists have developed an application that allows you to use a selfie um, of your eye uh, to actually detect uh, the early signs of pancreatic cancer. Um, it's a yeah, regular smartphone app. Um, it's dubbed Billy Screen, and it uses a smartphone camera along with uh, computer vision algorithms and machine learning uh, to detect elevated um, bilirubin levels. Um, bilirubin um, is a buildup um, that can be indicative of a number of diseases. Um, and as I said, physicians are very reluctant to do anything about it. Um, and while the urine test is getting better, um, this is actually uh, apparently a much better option. So um, the way... Yeah, it basically takes a photo of the white part of your eyes. And even before it's visually detectable um, it, from a... Um, a physician, they can actually um, detect uh, early buildup of the bilirubin, uh, and you can seek clinical help then, and perhaps get a test and uh, prevent pancreatic cancer, or sort of give yourself a better chance of beating it, which is great. Uh, I like that. I kind of that was a good news story. It is a good news story. I also worry for all of the um, 
Dr. Google hypochondriacs in the world constantly taking that selfie. <laughs> Doing it. Hey, if you have uh, family or friends overseas or you need to move money around, um, you'd be familiar with the frustrating experience that is uh, moving dollars and pounds and euros around. One of the services that has um, tasked itself with solving that is TransferWise. And we're joined in studio by Nicholas Lembo from TransferWise. Nicholas, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Did you get frustrated with um, moving money around? Is that why you got involved in, in TransferWise? It actually is. Um, I was a customer um, for a number of years before I actually joined the company. Um, so as you can probably hear from my accent, um, I grew up in the US. Uh, went to university in the U.S. as, as everyone is familiar with the kind of ex- insane costs of um, education in America. So I had a number of student loans when I moved to Australia, and was sending money back through Commonwealth Bank, my bank, every month to pay off those loans. Before I kind of said, "There's got to be a better way to do this." Mm. And and what are the common frustrations for people who don't know too much about exchanging money? What what are the things that TransferWise has, has tried to resolve? There's really two bits to it. Um, First is that most people just don't understand how much it actually costs to send money abroad through a traditional bank. So most banks will tell you there's a straight up kind of uh, small upfront fee, um, when in reality they're taking a really big chunk of your money in a exchange rate margin. So um, if you wanted to send money to the US today, the exchange rate you see on Google is 79 cents. Um, a bank would tell you it's 15 or $20 to send money to an account there, when in reality, the exchange rate you get at the end of the process is about five to send 10% off the exchange rate. So they're taking a pretty big chunk of money in that spread that otherwise could be in your pocket. Why does it cost anything to, to move money around? Surely it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, that's why we've kind of built a system that's cheaper. So um, basically, banks have had a monopoly on sending money abroad for years, as they have for most financial services. Mm. Um, so they've essentially had no competition in the space. Um, and TransferWise was set up to kind of cut out those fees for consumers mm. um, and make it not just cheaper, but also a lot quicker and easier as well. Mm. And even just kind of slight delays of like a few seconds in moving the money around can make large sums of cash for for banks and so forth who are sitting on our money. Um, Is that well regulated? I mean, is it because banks are crossing borders on these things that it's very hard to police kind of manipulation of the exchange rate and exchange system? Yeah. um, Regarding regulations, there are, of course, regulations of how you have to comply with sending money abroad. So things like um, making sure that there's no fraud or money laundering or things like that. But banks can essentially charge whatever they want in the exchange rate. So um, there's no kind of set rule for uh, you can only mark up the exchange rate this much or anything like that. And how have TransferWise kind of approached making it a simpler, more transparent process? What, what were the principles behind the business? Well, Business was set up in 2011, so our co-founders, Tavet and Krista, are actually Estonian, um, and one of them was living in the UK, and one was back in Estonia. They had money to send back and forth to each other, uh, pay off mortgages, things like that, and quickly realized they were losing a lot of money every month. Um, as they were already friends, they kind of said, hey, there's a better way to do this. What if we just take the mid-market exchange rate that we see online and we send the money to each other um, and take it out of our accounts and mm-hmm. we bypass the banks? Um, so they started doing that for a couple months, saved a ton of money and realized that that was probably a solution that could be scaled up for a lot of people. 
So the way that it was scaled up was essentially setting up a system of local accounts all over the world. So if you're in the UK and I wanted to send money to you, the money most of the time doesn't actually cross borders when you use TransferWise. So I pay into a local account here in Australia, just like I would with a normal transfer. The amount that the other person gets on the other side is the real exchange rate minus a small fee, and it gets paid out of the account in the UK. So we're able to cut out a lot of those fees because we're not actually sending the money over traditional kind of banking infrastructure. So it's basically just literally a bank sitting in all of the countries that you can sort of draw it out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Clever. Have you ever had this problem, Joe? Have you had to sort of like carry money around and kind of move it around and just go, I can't believe I'm losing? Yeah, I was paying off debt in New Zealand. Mm. Frustrating. Yeah, and I paid a lot in fees. I quite like the um, website design. Uh, is there is, is that much of a um, uh, uh, philosophy within TransferWise? I mean, even the the logo is quite sharp as well. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about the design here and the and the UX. It's quite good. Like yeah. you see a lot of bad websites out there, and this is not one of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things with financial services and banks in general is that people are traditionally quite apathetic about their bank, right? Mm. Um, You might not like your bank. Even if you don't hate your bank, you probably don't have strong feelings about your bank. Um, So to get people to switch to a new financial services, one of the ways we think about it is you actually have to make a product that's about 10 times better Mm. for people to think that it's worth switching. So they might have the idea that, hey, I'll save a couple bucks uh, if I use TransferWise. In reality, it's more than a couple bucks, but if that's the perception, someone won't switch. So part of getting them uh, customers to switch is the fact that you need to have price be better, you need to have your speed be better, but you also need to have convenience be a huge part of that. So that kind of goes to what you were talking about with UX, UI, the design, um, and just the general experience for someone who comes to TransferWise for the first time. It's easy to understand, it's simple, and the flow through the website or the app or whatever version of TransferWise they're using is really intuitive. So we have a quite a large design team that focuses on making sure um, yeah, the experience is as simple and convenient as possible. What's the background with um, the people involved in Skype being involved in this as well, I noticed? Yeah, so Tavet, who's one of our co-founders, was the first employee at Skype um, and worked there for a number of years in a number of different roles as Mm. people who are first employees at startups tend to do. Um, And then after he left Skype TransferWise, he co-founded TransferWise with Christo, our other co-founder. Mm. Have you been affected by um, uh, internet speeds in Australia at all? Has that affected the uptake of um, the service? Um, I'm just remembering my last experience with Skype and I'm just like sitting there. I was trying to do guitar lessons by Skype and it was really, I don't have a great um, 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 provider at home. Um, How has that affected sort of transfer wise or, or not really at all? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think we've seen much mm. effect of internet speeds. Um, mm. If customers have had problems like that, I think mm. we probably would have seen it come through in you know support lines or things like that. But yeah. generally, um, I don't think it's seen something we've seen a lot of. Mm. And you're currently saving uh, people around one point six billion dollars every month. Um, ridiculous. Surely you're not not uh, getting too many Christmas cards from people at the banks. Probably not. Yeah. Um, so do you guys have um, uh, obviously the the sort of core product is is the most important thing but do you guys um, work on sort of different iterations of how you can improve the service is there kind of like a roadmap for for sort of new features or or ways to use TransferWise yeah definitely Um, 
So as you said, the core product is international money transfer. Mm. Currently, you can send money to about 60 countries in the world. Mm. Um, so part of our mission for transparency and fairness in financial services is opening up as many more countries as we can. Um, there's challenges to that, obviously, from a regulatory point of view and things like that, but really trying to open up more currency routes to countries like Kenya, which is one of our most mm. kind of recent countries you can now send money to. Um, and part of the launch in Kenya was that you can send money to M-Pesa, which is like a mobile wallet, which mm. is quite cool. Mm. Um, but outside of international money transfer, the core product and just sending money to new countries, um, one of the things that we've just recently launched in the UK and Europe, coming soon in Australia, is something called a borderless account. Mm. Um, which is a pretty cool product. Um, it's essentially a virtual bank account that lets you hold multiple currencies. Um, so traditionally, if you wanted a multi-currency account, it's a pretty expensive, pretty uh, niche product. Um, you have to have a lot of basically funds to move around to make it worthwhile. Mm. What the borderless account lets you do is hold up to 15 different currencies for no fee, transfer the money between them if you need to for just the regular transfer-wise fee. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's quite cool is that it gives you local bank account details in the country that you're holding that currency. So mm. for really good application is for people who might be freelancers. Mm -hmm. um, so if you've got clients abroad, mm. um, if you're a designer, a developer, whatever, mm. um, and people are trying to pay you from overseas, you end up getting as the recipient, quite a lot less than whatever your fee would traditionally be. What mm. Borderless does is it actually gives you UK, US, whatever country bank account details. So the person who's sending you the money sends mm. it right to your local account so you can avoid all those fees as well. Mm. Interesting. I was kind of imagining it almost like a pirate radio station, like um, <laughs> big kind of like boats of cash just kind of floating off um, the Isle of Wight or something like that. Um, interesting. Uh, and what's what's kind of the next um, six months or year hold in Australia? What, what are you most excited about in terms of what you can offer Australians? Um, basically just getting better on price mm. and speed, um, yep. making more transfers, saving people more money and doing it faster. Um, one of the cool things about Australia is for us is that we've grown so much here organically. Um, the banks here are some of the worst in the world in terms of ripping people off on money transfer. So typically bank mm. spreads on money transfer are like between three and 5% in most countries. Mm. Um, in Australia, they're more like five, six, seven, 8%, depending on who you bank with. So yeah, wow. um, it's pretty cool that most of our growth here has been, and in most countries around the world, has been completely organic word of mouth. Mm. Um, so that's quite cool to see that, you know, you're building a product that people like and use so much that they tell their friends. Mm. Um, so we're really just focused on making sure more people know about it and can use it and can save money using it. Awesome. Well, it looks a great, um, a great product and uh, I'm a big fan of the site. Um, if you want to check it out, uh, it is uh, literally just transferwise.com uh, slash au. And um, yeah, um, don't fill up the pockets of the banks. Um, do it this way. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming in. Best of luck with it. Cool. Thanks for having me. I um, pretty much live in wool at this time of year. Um, I can't get enough layers onto me. And what's even better is when it is a um, ace pattern or idea um, behind um, the textile. Um, what's what's your relationship with sort of weird patterns and, and clothing? I am a big fan of really loud patterns. The weirder, the brighter, the better. Which is great. I think you'll be into this thing that we're uh, about to have a chat about. So tell me more. 
So uh, digital glitch aesthetics uh, uh, have been around for a little while and they're mixing uh, with traditional textiles to make, a, I guess, a, a new form of fashion. Um, if you can kind of picture, um, it's similar in a way to some of the um, Aztec stuff that's been around um, and sort of comes in and out of fashion from time to time. But this is uh, a little bit more detailed and it's effectively taking um, errors in software or hardware and turning them into sort of beautiful patterns um, in textiles. Um, glitch art has um, kind of been taken uh, a long way by a variety of artists. Um, uh, glitch House, or um, aka Jeff Donaldson, um, uh, has been producing uh, knitted scarves and rugs um, inspired by sort of malware for a, a little while now. And the range, which is called Naturally Malware, um, has done really well. One of his most famous pieces was a blanket um, based on the infamous uh, Stuxnet worm. Um, and some of these are really beautiful. Um, I've been kind of in a bit of a rut this year in terms of patterns and colours, but looking at this stuff now, I'm like, yes, I just need to get as much of this stuff into my house um, as I can. I'm looking at uh, one of these scarves and I can totally see you wearing that glitchy blue and black and white scarf. Oh, yeah, that'd be lovely. Um, there's actually, the thing I like most is uh, there's like uh, a jumper. Um, I think it's by a Japanese designer, uh, Nukeme, um, uh, where it looks like it's been turned inside out and all of the threads are starting oh, to fray a little bit. It reminds me a bit of like those Kugi jumpers that um, mm. Notorious B.I.G. used to wear. Oh, no, he did too. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Uh, so um, it's, this time around it's been, uh, oh, there's yeah a, a variety of kind of um, projects that um, people have taken off. There's another um, interesting knitting project um, called Neuro Knitting, um, which is a, a three-way collaboration between uh, some artists and a music technology researcher um, with an interest in physiological computing. Um, they've actually started by uh, recording the brainwave activity of subjects listening to classical music and turning it into knitting patterns. There's some kind of beautiful stuff here of, um, I think the weird thing is the um, mix of colours that it's creating. I'm not sure whether you assign, say, like a colour to a mood in this kind of situation or to a feeling, and then you kind of get a, uh, a kind of a mosaic of those different colours. I'm looking at the one at the bottom of the article with all the kind of like tops and car keys and, yeah. and yellows. Looks amazing. I'd be um, interested in seeing them branch out of just classical music and seeing, you know, a, a your brain on Aphex Twin kind of jumper. That'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of armholes. Um. <laughs> There's also uh, a fun thing here that um, people who are fond of um, chip tunes and so forth uh, might be into. Um, there's a series called uh, Notendo, um, which is um, a series of designs generated by intentionally short-circuiting an 8-bit video game system. Um, so, yeah, it looks wonderful. It's kind of, you can kind of imagine it um, like when you get the um, weird glitch if you hit like the old cathode ray TVs or even like a little bit like of the rage patterns that you could see when they started like stretching the um, test pattern and so forth on the rage screen. It looks wonderful. Um, the other, th the last thing that I wanted to mention around this was um, also hacking a brother uh, knitting machine. Um, the great thing about this project, um, which is called Glitch Knitting, um, is it's uh, available on GitHub for everyone to use. It's an open source project. Um, so if you want to um, break a brother um, and have a go. Um, we might just put a link up on the um, on the Twitters or on the Facebooks as well if you want to have a bit of a go at that. But um, I don't know. It seems like with uh, another month maybe of cold weather, 
three weeks at least, um, that would be something to, to get into. Hey, uh, speaking of desire, um, Joe, you may have come across um, one of those um, all-pervasive memes um, going around at the moment, um, the distracted boyfriend meme. Have you seen that one? It is everywhere, totally unavoidable at the moment. I was asking a couple of people at work today and none of them had seen it, which was ridiculous. How old are they? I don't know. They're, they're very young. Oh. Yeah. Maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a weird Facebook thing. But um, you probably have seen it. Um, there's been a lot of them around in the past couple of weeks. There's a, sort of a, a woman in the foreground kind of um, blurred out and there's a, a, a douchey guy in the background kind of like whipping his head around to have a look. And um, the woman that he's with is kind of like aghast. Um, it's been turned into sort of every kind of thing um, to kind of demonstrate kind of how I really feel about stuff. I guess is is the way to describe it, but there's a an interesting story. The photographer um, who created the original stock photo series is now kind of a minor celebrity in stock and photography circles. Um, he was talking about how he's a, a Spanish um, guy and um, his stock photo career hadn't really taken off, and he had uh, a few friends and they decided to do a series about uh, infidelity. So they went out to this kind of churchy town in um, Spain and took all of these um, uh, photos based on kind of some you know um silly kind of scenarios but he's literally his career has just taken off now he's um i think um quite a quite an old guy and um he's actually having this weird kind of second wind as a photographer based on this kind of stupid series of of photos it's it's weird the way that um memes can kind of do that and kind of years after they happen there used to be this interesting kind of like um uh um health beat for kind of like the age of memes so you could kind of before you're about to share things you could just kind of check whether it's been going around for a couple of years or not you're like wow this is amazing i better share oh okay it's been going on for everything um uh yeah so um yeah it's kind of it's taken off for gilliam um antonio gilliam i feel good for him um Another thing that I do feel good about um, in terms of weird news is uh, Twitter um, doing what it does well, which is um, shaming people en masse, um, has shamed a millionaire televangelist uh, into opening his megachurch as a shelter from Hurricane Harvey. It's a shame that it took that. It is a shame that it took that. Um, the the weird thing about this um, situation was that um, Joel Osteen, the pastor, um, was, um, I guess, quite vocal in his theoretical support for um, uh, people in Texas um, set up, you know, I'm thinking of you um, please join us as we pray for the safety of our Texas friends and family um, interestingly there, um, when we say mega church, it is a mega church um, it has a capacity of nearly 17,000 people um, in um, pretty much in the storm zone uh, and he was putting it out there that um, people just need to hunker down, do better um, the tweet that kind of got everyone uh, upset was um, there's a simple phrase you have to get down in your spirit God's got this as in things will just kind of sort itself out I think he's trying to say there unfortunately this didn't do too well um, with the uh, congregation um, uh, and a number of people have responded um, it would be great that if you could actually um, do something about this and actually uh, open up your church um, yeah basically shamed him into opening it so um, fortunately, the good end of this story is um, people have actually been given access to it and it is operating as a shelter. Excellent. Uh, for all faiths, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, um, there's been a number of mosques that have opened and um, it's kind of started a bit of a, a thing. So that is wonderful. 
Interesting. Um, we've got a couple of uh, events or one thing in particular that we wanted to talk about. Um, I think we have um, some folks from BuzzConf um, Technology Festival coming on um, in the next few weeks, but they do actually have an opportunity um, if you are interested in getting along. It's a great conference um, designed to get people involved in play and um, other elements of technology. Um, they do actually have uh, some early birds on sale. Um, the super early bird tickets um, did sell out um, in a matter of days, but uh, early birds are now on sale. And if you want to get along, it's probably a good way to do it. One of the things that always turns me away from conferences is the, the sticker price. Um, it does hurt the wallet and purse a little bit when you have to fork out three, four, five hundred, a thousand dollars to get to some of these things. But early birds are a great way to get past that. Um, I'm just trying to pull up and see. Um, yeah, what how, are we looking at for this one? How much the uh, early bird registrations cost. I'll just let that kind of load up. Well, um, apparently they are continuing on uh, their popular two main tech tracks, one for talks and the other for workshops. Mm. And they also now have two tracks just for kids and families. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, early bird. They were also able to introduce a further full day of intensive courses on the 1st of December and those are available for a small extra charge and they say they're a great way of getting your latest emerging tech business or hobby off of the ground and um, they also have an entertainment lineup and big fucking robots they apparently. Do have, they do have massive robots. I'm going to hunt this thing down. It's not actually loading up the early bird price. but I We'll will, tweet it. I will get onto that and we, we shall tweet it. Uh, we've had a super night talking to you about technology. Uh, thank you very much uh, to our guest, uh, Nicholas Lembo, for coming in to talk about TransferWise and uh, saving us some cash, which you can put into making a subscription. Um, if you do want to get involved during Radiothon, um, there is still time. Uh, you do have time to do that. So um, probably best to do it online at rrr.org.au. Uh, you could subscribe to, I don't know, Bite Into It, for example. Uh, coming up next is Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. We suggest you stick around. Have a great night in Melbourne. We'll be back next week. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.